Okay, so this is our annual presentation of how to get on the ballot in New York City. I'm Sarah Steiner. I'm going to be speaking about the nuts and bolts of how you actually put the petitions together and what you do with them. Rafael Savino, who is the Deputy General Counsel of the Board of Elections in the City of New York, is going to be talking about what happens to those petitions from the time you walk in the door of the Board of Elections in the City of New York. And then Marty Connor will be talking about what it is that happens if there's a problem that requires legal intervention in court a challenge that you want to make, a challenge to defend. And Doug Kellner, who is the Democratic co-chair of the New York State Board of Elections, will be talking about compliance and what you need to do in terms of making the Board of Elections happy with how you handle your money and your filings. So the first question that we have is, can I be a candidate for office? What office do you want? How do you, how do, you do this? And you have to be to run, it's a constitutional requirement under the New York State Constitution. You have to be a resident of New York State for at least the last five years and you have to be a resident of the district for 12 months leading up until the election. You have to be registered in the party that you are looking for the nomination and otherwise you have to have the permission of the county leader in the party. You have to get something that's called a Wilson Pakula which is named after the legislation that enabled it and it means that somebody has to sign saying yes you're a blank or a Republican and you want to run as a Democrat, you're a Democrat and you want to run as a Republican, you need a signed document and that has to be filed. So that year of residency, you it can, you don't have to have your only residence in that district. Some people have two homes, some people have moved around within a district. The state requirement of the five years though is continuous for five full <coughs> years before the election. And the district, if you, let's say you wanted to run, let's say you have your country house in Riverdale in the Bronx and you live in Staten Island, you could run in either place if they're both legitimate residences. But you need to be registered to vote in that district. And you can't run in the district unless you've been there for a year. So you have to think about it a year out. For civil court judge, I don't know whether anybody here is involved in a civil court campaign. It's a five-year residency, 10 years in the New York State Bar, and you have to be 35 years old, which is about the same as being admitted for 10 years for a lot of people. The city council, which I am including here, 
even though this isn't a city council year because special elections have been cropping up on a regular basis. You don't have to live in the district until you take office, but the, you have to be registered in the party the same way. It's got the same other requirements. Same thing for countywide office. That can be a civil court, countywide civil court position. Uh, it's the same sort of requirement. The city offices are living in the district that you're in, in this case the county, the day that you take office. This is unlikely to come up as a special election, the uh, citywide offices, but you never know. Okay. So you need to gather a minimum number of signatures from registered voters enrolled in the party whose nomination that you're seeking the, to be the candidate of who live in the district. When we say petitioning, that's what we mean. And the number of signatures is set out in the New York State election law. If you're not in a major party, it's a lot harder than if you're in a party. If you're running independently, it's 5% of the registered voters, and if you're running in, but but your sorry, but your your actual signature requirements, which are set out here, those are your minimum signature requirements. As a practical matter, when you go out and look for signatures you are looking for a multiple of the number that you see here on the screen. Because even if you're going door to door with a walk list of everybody who's a registered voter that you get from wherever you get it from, you can get it from Van, you can get it from the Board of Elections. I recommend the Board of Elections above Van. It's much more current, but it's not in as uh, digestible a format, so it's, a balance there. Uh, you're going to wind up with people who have signed somebody else's petition. You're going to wind up with people who think they're registered as Democrats because they voted for Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, but they're really not registered as Democrats. They just vote as Democratic. So you need, I tell people, if you're going for state assembly that needs 500 signatures, I want to see at least 2,000. And I'd be much happier if I saw more. I sometimes tell them if you can get an unchallengeable number, like 3,000, you should go for that. You should go for a multiple of two, three, four times, whatever you can get. And that's much better for you. What isn't on here is county committee, and I had one question about this before we began. County committee is the very smallest elective office. It represents your, elect, your election district, your ED. When you go to the polling place and it says 32 and you go stand on that line for 32, that's your election district. And it's a tiny little area of sometimes a building and some huge buildings it's a part of a building, sometimes it's a few blocks, it depends on where you live. And for that, you have to do a calculation of the number of active voters as of, I think it's April 1st of that year, who are registered in the party that you're running for county committee in. And sometimes you'll need four signatures 
to get on the ballot. Sometimes you'll need 14, sometimes you'll need 75. Again, you should get a multiple of those. You don't have to live in the district, in that little election district, but you do have to live in the assembly district. The quirk here is that to challenge somebody, if you want to throw somebody off the ballot who's running for county committee, they do have to live in the election district. So that's basically what I was saying before, a lot of it. This is, nobody has to submit perfect petitions. Perfect petitions, somebody who puts in a, a whole volume of beautifully unwrinkled, legible, wonderful petitions with everything filled in and clean and there are no edges that are broken. I want to see those because I figure there's fraud. <laughs> okay, which is why I say spill as little coffee as them as possible, not keep them clean. They're a living document. And they are, don't have to worry if you damage a sheet. Put a piece of tape on the back. It's all right. If you get them torn, just, you know, put a piece of tape on the other side and you're done. Put it on the reverse side, not on the front side. This is what a petition looks like. So I pulled old, old, old petitions out of my files here. It's got three parts. The top part of the petition has the name of the candidate, the office they're running for, and the residence address of the candidate. That Committee on Vacancies is purely optional, and I'll get to that in a moment. The candidate's name needs to be the candidate's name the way they are registered to vote. You can also change your registration so that if you're Jimmy Carter instead of James E. Carter and you want to be on the ballot as Jimmy Carter, you can be on the ballot as Jimmy Carter. Uh, all you have to do is say, tell the nice man over there by letter or something like that who's from the New York City Board of Elections or Raphael over here. You have to send a letter or change your registration and you can have your name appear on the ballot, but you should have it uniform on the ballot, your petitions, and your voter registration card. That's ideal. Your address should be the address at which you are actually registered to vote and that is in that district. So you check it. Some t I've, I've actually had candidates who said, oh, I forgot I moved three houses down. It's a problem. The Committee on Vacancies is really just a group of people who are supporting you and your, your name, their names would be perhaps influential when people are looking at the petition deciding if they want to vote for you or not. It's entirely optional, it used to be required. Its actual purpose is if you get hit by a bus or talked into declining, they can fill your, for somebody else. They can take you off, you decline, they submit somebody else's name, they put them on, there's a procedure, it happens immediately after the petitions are filed within a three day period, but that's who does it. If you don't have a com committee on vacancies and you get hit by the bus, you're done. 
That's it. Nobody can take your place. You may not care anymore. <laughs> uh, but the thing that you have to remember is if you are if you have a committee in vacancies, if your petition is being carried by a different groups of people on petitions that, for instance, the omnibus petition, which is the petition with a lot of people on it, I'll show you a picture of it in a minute, you have to make sure your committee on vacancies is the same across all of the petitions. Because if it's not, then that's a defect and you have a problem. For one thing, they can't uh, replace you if something happens. For another, you might get removed from the ballot for a, for a defect if somebody objects to it in the correct way. The second part of the petition is the part that we really think about most of the time when we think about going out and going petitioning. It's got the date, the signature. You can put the printed name under the signature. I like doing that because then you know who you've got signing because you know, a lot of people don't have very legible signatures, and a lot of people don't, they don't really take time to sign it legibly either. And you need the address. The only thing that the voter has to sign is the signature. It's perfectly okay if the witness fills in the date, prints the name underneath and gets the spelling right, gets the address and writes it in the petition. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But the signature, that's sacrosanct. The signature has to be done by the voter. And the final part, the bottom of the petition, is the witness statement. The witness statement is where the person carrying the petition who witnesses the people sign, attests that they saw them collected, says how many there are on the page, who they are, where they live, that they're qualified. That's all on there. And, <coughs> excuse me, this is an affidavit. You don't play around with this. You are swearing, your witness is swearing that they saw those people sign those names on that sheet. It is a legal document, and you don't say, oh, I don't know whose sheet this is. They left it on the desk outside, and it's got seven signatures, and wow, they look great. Here, why don't you sign those? You, you sign it as a witness, okay? It's an affidavit, and you may not intend for it to be fraud, but it's considered to be fraud, and if there's more than a marginal amount of it, your whole petition may be thrown off. If there's a marginal amount of it, and the court decides, oh, it's an accident, just those pages will be thrown off. It's a bad idea to do that. The same thing, you don't leave a petition out on a desk for somebody, whoever's coming in to sign. You don't leave it out. It's a document that you have to take very careful, careful care of. What I like to do when I'm training actual campaigns is to have them print their name on that first spot where it says witness's name, but not fill anything out yet. 
and the rest of it. That way we know whose sheet it is, it's not going to get lost or confused, and you can bring it back to headquarters or to the client or whoever it is you're working with and have them help you fill out the rest correctly. It doesn't have to be the same day. It can be, but it doesn't have to be the same day. It just has to be that day or later. And at the bottom where it says sheet number, don't number the sheet. It just means I have to renumber it all over again. Who can your witnesses be? If it's a Republican, it can be a Republican anywhere in the state of New York. If you're doing it for the Green Party, it's a Green Party person anywhere in the state of New York. Democrat, any Democrat in the state of New York. It used to be in the district. It isn't anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. And a notary public and a commissioner of deeds, there still are commissioner of, commissioners of deeds, but I don't see them very often. It's a, you file papers with the city clerk um, it's like a notary, but the problem with a notary or a commissioner of deeds is that the notary has to actually swear in every person they take a signature from. So you don't just do it like you do on the street. You, a lot of you have probably seen this or done this. Hi, are you a registered Democrat? Would you sign my petition for so-and-so? Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, sign here. Bye. If you're a notary, you have to say, hi, I'm a notary. I want you to, to sign this. Is this who you are? You, in an ideal world, they'll show you ID. This is not very practical unless you're doing door-to-door -door petitioning for uh, one of the smaller parties, and then it's not a big deal but you have to swear them in. You don't have to have them raise their right hand. You don't have to administer an oath, but you do have to say to them something that makes them understand that they're signing a legal document and saying they are who they are and they want to be doing this. And they have to, it's, it's like going to the bank. The bank doesn't ask you to raise your hand and swear who you are when you go get something notarized there, but they do ask for your ID and make you prove who you are and you understand that it's a serious thing. This last year I had a trial in Brooklyn on which I had an entire petition for a candidate disqualified because the notaries hadn't done it properly. It's not that hard to do. It's an annoying thing to do. It requires annoying dozens of people and in bringing into them into court as witnesses, and they'll probably never sign a petition again. But uh, sometimes it has to be done. The court decided that the witnesses were not even marginally properly sworn, that there was no testimony that any of the witnesses understood that they were being sworn in. Incidentally, if you are a notary and there's a, you know, notaries have this log they're supposed to keep. These don't have to go in the log. That's, that, that, that's something that the courts have also decided. You don't have to keep a, notary, a notarial log of them. But if you are a notary, you may decide to do that anyway. And 
this is what I'm talking about. That, the, by the way, these I'm going to put these online, and the board, uh, the, the bar association, is going to have an audio of this with a link, so you'll be able to access this afterwards if you've been here. This is a sep This is an example of what the bottom of the petition is supposed to say with a notary, instead of with a regular subscribing witness. Two kinds of petitions. Omnibus is what we call one that has a bunch of different candidates on it all together. You've seen them. Some this year's are going to be huge. They're going to reach from here down to the ground. And then you can have a petition that's the size of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I've actually seen petitions that are half that size and that has a, uh, a single candidate on there. They're both fine. An interesting point is if you get challenged when you're one of the people on an omnibus petition, no matter what they de decide about you and your signatures, it doesn't affect anybody else on that petition unless they've also been challenged. I've been through the Committee on Vacancies. That, is, that, that has now become a political decision. Green paper is in short supply this time of year. And uh, there's no longer a law that says the green is Democrats, or cherry is what they used to call it, pink, for Republicans. And there was a yellow one that I think they may have called canary. But now you can do it on any color. Most people looking at a Democratic petition expect it to be green. Most people looking for a Republican petition expect it to be pink. Last year, a downtown Democratic group made all of their petitions pink and branded themselves as the people with the pink petitions and branded their literature and their buttons and everything and used pink as a color to distinguish themselves from the regular old line club that was using green. And it confused a lot of people, but they got on the ballot and they actually won. So I'm not sure how bad an idea it was. Uh, it doesn't matter what color it is. They also benefited from the fact that they could say to somebody who said, I don't know, I signed a petition. They could say to them, oh, well, what color was it? It wasn't my color. But you can only sign one nominating petition for office. You can't sign for everybody. The earliest signature is the one that counts. And I reordered that slide. This year, the primary petitioning period is Tuesday, June 5th until July 12th, Thursday, July 12th. In New York City, that's till midnight. Please don't go to the Board of Elections at midnight. If it turns out to be 12.01 when you get to the door for the line of all of the other idiots slash smartasses who didn't do it, and it's 12.01 and you clock in your petition, you're not on the ballot. So, and the other thing is, if you pick up your petitions and you're on your way to the board and it's 9.30, 10 o'clock, don't do what somebody I know did a couple of years ago, which is, oh, we've got plenty of time. Let's go to dinner first. 
it didn't happen that way. Uh, they, there was traffic. Who could imagine that in New York there was traffic? And that was that. So my advice really has always been to file as early as you possibly can file if you've got enough. And if you're still desperately getting signatures on Thursday, you do what you have to do, but you should have known that two weeks earlier and done something about it. You really should have. Planning is really important. And knowing what you're going to be doing and when you're going to be doing it is a secret to success. I prefer walk lists, what they call walk lists, collecting from lists of voters because you know that you're getting actual enrolled people in your party. Walk lists will give you maybe 70% accuracy. Bulk petitions, what they call street signatures, untargeted subway stops, supermarkets. If you get 30% you're doing well, I've seen 15%. And that's why I'm telling people get a multiple of what you need. If you're just doing bulk street, get 5,000 instead of 500. <laughs> For real, black or blue ink. You sign it, somebody pulls out their nifty little lavender or, or whatever flare pen and, and signs their name with a flourish on the petition. Oh well, signature doesn't count. And bear in mind that all of us here have seen, signature, have seen people get on the ballot and get not on the ballot by a signature, six signatures, three signatures, blue and black ink. It's re, it's, it may be a stupid rule that's a vestige of, I don't know what actually, but no pencil, black and blue only. The best thing to do is to tell people to sign the name, their name the way they sign a legal document. Because if you say to somebody, sign the way you're registered, a lot of people, they don't remember. If you tell them, sign the way you sign when you go to vote, they might remember. That's another thing you can say. But most people are registered to vote the way they, they signed their card, the way they sign when people had checks, their checks, mm -hmm. the way they sign any legal documents. So that's, that's, the, what you, that's what you tell them to do. They don't say, Mrs. Mary Smith, they have to, they don't say Mrs. Mrs. John Smith, they have to say Mary Smith. They don't say Mrs., they don't say M. Smith. That's not good enough. It has to be the full name, Mary Smith. You don't print your name. You sign your name. Now that's a little tricky in a couple of ways. First of all, it turns out a lot of young people don't learn cursive anymore, and some of your younger voters may not that may be their signature. So if that's their signature, that's their signature. If it matches the card that they signed on, that's a good signature. You can ask them, you can say, is that how you always sign your name? And that's fine. The other thing is, is that a lot of people in New York come from uh, other languages. 
And not all other languages have the same alphabet we do. And so when you sign your name and your original language is Bengali or Thai or Chinese or uh, Hindi, you're going to have probably a printed signature unless you were brought up here. And so a lot of the time, those are perfectly valid printed signatures. So you want to try not to offend people by asking them questions about their signature. You just want to make sure they're signing it. You just say, sign it the way you do it. <coughs> Again, another reason why you need a multiple, because it may turn out that the person printed their name and said, yes, that's how I always sign. And then when you compare it at the board at some point, when you're trying to survive your challenge, it doesn't look like that anymore. Also, old people, their signatures degrade. The board allows for that when there's challenges. Judges allowed for that, allow for that when there are challenges. We all know it happens. And I went through this earlier. Don't abbreviate street names I don't mean don't say ST for street or uh, AV for avenue or BLVD for, I mean, don't put RSD for Riverside Drive. Don't put, you can put BWY, everybody knows what that is, but I'd prefer you write up Broadway. Don't, don't put, um, don't put the, the shorthand way that you refer to a street in your neighborhood on the petition because it will be challenged for the ad address being incorrect or incomplete. The save on that is th because the person who signed didn't have to write in their signature, wouldn't write, have to write in the address, and the witness can write in the address, you can correct that. Instead of RSD, you can write Riverside Drive. And then you initial it, and you're fine. But you have to do that before you sign the bottom. Once you've signed the bottom, it's a closed sheet. Dates. If you're starting out on June 5th, write the first date on June 5th, on the top line, on the date line, because if you don't and the first person who signs it gets the date wrong, everybody who signs after that is going to just copy the date above them. This is human nature. <laughs> so you write that date. And then if you don't finish the sheet, but the last three lines still have June 5th written on it, you can either use another sheet or you can change the date and initial it. I prefer using another sheet. You have to go over, excuse me, you have to get, go over your petitions and make sure that the dates are in order before you clean it up initial wherever has to be fixed, done it. If somebody signed on June 6th 
and then it goes back to June 5th, the, June, the signatures after that, they won't be good. They'll be knocked out. And the subscribing witness can sign the same day they're collected or any day afterwards all the way up until the filing, but not before. So it's a good idea not to date the sheet if you're a subscribing witness until you come back afterwards, look at everything, see what you've got, and finalize it. This is really important. If you are a witness, you have to see the signature. Not be down at the other end of the hallway of the 50 apartments, down the, the end of the building, and I'm on this end and you're on that end, but you see the door open and close. You have to see the signature. Not across the street, down the block. And not, I'm gonna bring it into the, into the house so my wife can sign too. No, because you didn't see the signature. Also, don't go into somebody's house. Okay, people, we, we want to know where to find you. <laughs> this is, you don't do that. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how nice they are. I, I saw arsenic in old lace. <laughs> so, if they say, oh, I moved and I haven't re-registered, if you're walking around with voter registration cards, which I also recommend, you can tell them to re-register, but they can't sign it yet. If they registered with another party or they're registered not with a party, the signature won't count. We have a ridiculous rule in New York where you have to have changed your registration for this year last October. You can make alterations on everything but the signature, but you have to initial it. Ideally, you'll have somebody who's your field or campaign coordinator who will go over it with you and be sure. Don't sign the petition that you're signing as a witness because your signature won't count. And really don't sign the other guy's petition. <laughs> this is something that some people do because I'm on this corner and you're on that corner and we're both doing the same thing and we have coffee and we're friendly and we sign each other's petitions. No, you've now made yourself useless as a witness from then on. It could invalidate the petition signatures that you're collecting. Just don't do that. Don't sign somebody else's petition for the same office and if it's an omnibus petition, don't sign a petition that includes the office. For somebody else. Are there any questions about designating petitions now? Yes? Depends on how many you're going to put on a sheet. If you do 10 on a sheet or 15 on a sheet, you know you, you, you want to, you, you know when you want extra, you have to do, do the math and buy extra. If you're not running for an existing party, one of the now eight parties that we have as of right in this year's election, you can collect for the November election. And in order to do that, you're establishing your own party line. But 
you can do that, but there are important differences. This is an old petition that I did a long time ago for, I think it was governor, um, a million years ago by now. And it looks almost the same. The differences are that you can name your party whatever you want, except you can't name it the Democratic Principles Party or the Democracy Now Party. You can't call it the Republic of Something Party. You're not supposed to call it the Working Anythings Party. You're supposed to make it distinct and avoid confusion and at the same time come in under 15 characters. You also have to choose a symbol. Actually, they'll choose one for you. Yeah, they will. A pineapple or a banana, or they use a fruit. Banana. I like the banana. It's about. Um, but they'll charge one. They'll, they'll, if you don't have one, they'll find one for you. But you can't have no symbol. That's actually been litigated. Even though it doesn't appear on the ballot anymore. Yep. Even though it no longer appears on the ballot, and even though you know our literacy rate is much greater than it was 150 years ago when the symbol was sometimes all you had you have to have one this year if you're looking for a spot on the November ballot instead of in a primary ballot those are your dates any registered voter in the state can be a, a subscribing witness and any registered voter can sign but it doesn't count if they signed a designating petition for that office in the primary. When you bind your petitions, binding just means putting them together. If you can't get or don't want to get an experienced election lawyer, or if you can't afford an election lawyer and still want to do it, there are lots of people running around who have done this before for other campaigns and some of them know what they're doing. Uh, a lot of them actually know what they're doing. and. But it's, it's not as simple as it seems. First of all, you need a volume number. If you don't have a volume number before you start, the board will give you one again. That midnight on Thursday thing, it's going to screw you up. You want to go to the board now, next week, whenever you want and just get yourself some volume numbers. If you don't use them all, it doesn't matter. Just take them and put them in a safe place. You've got them. And get enough so that if you break your petition up into different volumes, you've got enough for the different volumes. You want your completed petition sheets that are all clean and nice and finished and initialed and taken care of. Again, your blue and black pens, fasteners, packing tape, reinforcements. That is how you bind a petition. Those are ACO fasteners. Oh, by the way, when you print your petitions, get two holes punched on top that are the size of the ACO fasteners. Otherwise, you are going to spend hours hole punching them and then more hours trying to figure out why they don't line up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, is there a number as to how many sheets in each volume? Nope. No. No. But, but it would fit. Yeah, whatever fit, 
fits. I have a preference for smaller volumes. Uh, that's a personal preference. It's not any way legal or anything like that. Then, yes? I'm going to get there. No, it's not for each volume. It's for the entire set. So I'm going to get there in a moment. If you have under, if you have nine sheets or fewer, you don't need a cover. Sh you don't need a cover sheet. But it, it, sometimes, if you're running solo for county committee or something like that, you may have that. But most offices require more than nine pages of signatures. Yeah. So yeah. But if you, you mean nine per volume, it's not nine per volume, it's nine in total. Nine, nine pages. pages. Nine not, pages. Not, yeah. Nine pages in total. Yeah. Nine pages unless you do not need a cover sheet. If you're running for any of the offices other than county committee all by itself and you only have nine pages and they don't have a hundred lines on each of them, <laughs> you don't really have a viable petition. On the little parties. Yeah, on the reform party maybe, on the women's equality party maybe, you can have that. But if you don't, if, if, because you don't need 500 there, you need the percentages, the 5%. Uh, yeah, I'll get there. Uh, now remember I said don't fill in the sheet numbers? When you bind, that's when you fill in the sheet numbers because that's when it matters. And while you can continue from page 140 to 141 on the next volume, I like to start again with one. It, it makes life so much easier in the long run for everybody. It's, it's the best thing you can do when you're numbering multiple volumes is to start each volume with one. Double check your work means Make sure that you don't go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, because that's a pagination error, and the board will call you, send you a notice saying, you've screwed this up. And you have to come in, figure out what you screwed up, where it is, and redo the whole damn thing by buying a copy and filing another copy with the petition in the right order from where you made that mistake. So check your work. I usually number it, hand it to the next person. They number, they, they see if all the numbers are in a row. They hand it to somebody else. They see if all the numbers are in the row. And we still have made mistakes. So it's not, you know how it is. It's like counting. You, you, three people will get three different answers sometimes. There are no, there's no requirement of how many pages are in a volume or how many volumes you have. There's nothing like that. Reinforcements, if your little holes break, you want, the, 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 the rule is they have to be securely fastened. So if you take it and you shake it and pages fall off or start doing it, I literally shake them to make sure that they're in there. Reinforcements, put it around the little hole, you're good. And then I put a piece of tape. It used to be that you had to have a cover and you had to have a back. 
I've seen the most ridiculous petitions with you know, nuts and bolts on pieces of wood and an ACO fastener and a piece of packing tape around it will do your petition perfectly well. And then you put your volume number, remember the volume numbers? You put it on the first page of each volume on the petition itself, not on top of the tape, because the tape's going to get ripped by the board when they copy it. And that's an important thing to have. Cover sheet. If you have more than nine pages, you need a cover sheet. A petition is defined as the signature sheets plus the cover sheet. And the cover sheet looks like this, more or less. There's th these, these forms, or similar ones to these, are on the board website in the forms. You have to have the volume numbers of all your volumes, and you have to have the correct number of volumes. And you have to make sure that's right. And you should check those numbers multiple times, because typos, inverting two numbers, your cover sheets possibly not good anymore. Depends on how much litigation you want. You might be able to get it back. But $20,000 later, you might be able to get it back. Mm. So put it together carefully. One of the things that happens sometimes is you've got the wrong volume number. That happens when you're, you have a lot of different clubs collecting your petitions, and one of them screws up the volume number, uses it for something else, uses just, and they gave you the volume number already and they're bringing it down for you and you've got a wrong volume number. You can fix that once. And don't make another typo or mistake when you're filing the amended cover sheet because again, the board may require litigation in order to get you not disqualified from the ballot. You only get one chance to fix a cover sheet. And sometimes you don't get a chance if, it's a, if, it's a, 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 if there are certain errors. Then you take your brown, bound petition sheets and your cover sheet together, and you go to 32 Broadway on the seventh floor. Again, I can't tell you how many times I can reemphasize, come early. Just do it early. Once you've filed, have somebody check with the board. Go down, look at the ledger, do whatever they have to do to see if anybody's filed against you, to see if they've filed general objections or specific objection, objections. Because you may not know otherwise. You, need to, this is, you don't just file them and go off someplace. You file them and keep daily track of them. And I recommend keeping a copy of your petition because otherwise you're going to pay 25 cents a page and it may not cost you that to do it on your own. So you mean like if I submit 100 sheets for my, let's say just one volume, you make a copy of those 100 sheets before I submit them to you? I do that as a matter of course for my right candidates. Before you right before. I do it when they're already bound, which is pain in the neck to stick because they're bound and they're long and they're you know you don't have to do the whole top of it you just do the signature portion and the sheet number and enough to show you which petition it came off of 
but because that's all you're going to get from the board anyway if you buy copies. But if you if you don't wind up doing that or you don't want to spend that kind of time at a Kinko's doing a page at a time like that, uh, you can order a copy from the board for a quarter a page. Yeah, you can take a picture. These are your copies. You can scan it. You can photograph it. You can put it through a zero. Just make, however you want to make a copy, you make a copy. And you should then be fine. Marty's going to talk after Raphael, but that is what we've got. Do you have questions about any of this? Yes. We now allow emails as well. Uh, you know, when I say allow, if you put that on your cover sheet, you, we can email you notices. In the, in the, you know, the old days, or that was recently, it was last year. Uh, it was in yeah, that was last year. Or <laughs> either fax or come pick up a copy of the clerk's report that tells you whether you're on, you're off. But now you can put an email and you can get certain notices. Some notices, by law, we have to send overnight mail, you know, non-compliance, which I'll get into. And I'm sure we'll have more questions about everything. Perhaps the board is entering the 20th century here. <laughs> Slowly but sure. Yes, th yeah, that is an option. You can get a clerk's report emailed to you. Awesome. Raphael. All right. Uh, oh. Where do we go to see if anyone has filed challenges? To the Board of Elections. But where specifically? 32, 32 Broadway, Broadway 7th floor or 42 CRU, Broadway 6th floor? Candidate Records Unit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said that this is available on the New York Bar Association website? It should be. Well, it isn't yet because it's still happening, but it should be, yes. <laughs> Yeah, the PowerPoint, uh, I don't know if it will be, but the audio will be. Miggy? They're, they have a ledger you can They have a ledger, yes. See the ledger. And everything gets logged. Does each borough have its own board that you go to, or does everybody go to Manhattan? Everybody goes to Manhattan. All right, I guess I'll, uh, I'll talk go. about that. Again, I'm Rafael Savino, Deputy General Counsel at the Board of Elections. Just to give you a little information about the Board of Elections, obviously, they administer elections in the five boroughs of the city of New York, maintain the voter rolls. Um, and as you've heard about, review documents, petitions for people running for election, rule on the objections, uh, et cetera. Um, Sarah fortunately covered a lot of the stuff I was going to cover, so I'll try not to repeat anything. Very thorough. She stole half my material. That's okay. Uh, uh, just so you know, the Board of Elections has to operate on a bipartisan basis, um, meaning it's uh, evenly divided between the two major political parties. Those are decided by which parties get the most votes in a gubernatorial election currently and for quite some time, Democrat and Republican. That also goes for the commissioners. There's 10 commissioners at the Board of Elections, uh, two from each borough, one Democrat and one Republican. Although somewhat unorthodox having 10 bosses, it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, the commissioners are appointed by the city council and uh, serve for four-year terms. All right, getting on the ballot, as you've heard, there's, there's basically two types of petitions. Designating petitions are where candidates qualify to run in a particular party's primary. You also heard from Ms. Steiner that there's actually eight of them now, which makes the ballot a little crowded at times. We've heard uh, many complaints uh, you know, about font being a little too small, and we're you know, doing our best with that. Um, designating petitions, as I said, uh, can nominate people for public office for a particular party or also party positions, as someone said about county committee, uh, things of that, that nature. Independent nominating petitions are where candidates would qualify for the November ballot under an independent body name. 
Uh, one you might remember is the, the rent is too damn high. That was uh, a few years back. We haven't seen him in a couple of years, but he, he pops up once in a while. Um, the basic process for both petitions is the same. It's uh, detailed in the Board of Election rule books. You know, these are free. Uh, so we have a, a stack of these available at the Board of Elections. It's on our website. Uh, I only carry three, but uh, if anybody wants them. Uh, so the rules are, are you know, it's spelled out in here. Uh, the board rules, the certain things you have to comply with, some of the stuff that Ms. Steiner said, and some of the other additional stuff that I'll talk about. But bottom line is definitely, you know, get started by taking a look at, at the rule books and see what, what you need to do. Uh, it's a huge help. Um, the other thing that was mentioned is, is get somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, and you know, if, if you can get an election lawyer, that's great. As you said, there's others who, who are not attorneys that, that, that know this stuff and some who unfortunately don't. But it's, it's going to save you a lot of aggravation and potentially a lot of money. It, it's, it's a lot better to get it right in the beginning and file everything properly and have someone that knows they're doing look over all your paperwork than hiring a lawyer after you get knocked off the ballot and go into court. Um, which, which Mr. Senator Connor will talk more about uh, the court process. So you know, try and do it the do it right the first time. Um, this election cycle, what what's left of it? You know, we just had the special April twenty fourth. We now have the federal June primary coming up. It's June twenty sixth. The state primary was September eleventh, but for probably obvious reasons, that was moved to uh, September thirteenth, which is a Thursday. So some people might be a little confused about uh, voting on a Thursday, but. Uh, it's not the first time that's happened. And then the general election is November 6th. Uh, petitions, as you've heard, are terms, uh, a term to describe volumes of signed pages, uh, where a can which a candidate will then claim on their cover sheet. Uh, and hopefully the candidate has enough signatures to qualify for the ballot. You know, a little bit about the public policy, and I'll make it short, is the whole petition process is designed to show that a candidate has a sufficient amount of support. Some people say a modicum of support. Um, you know, without these rules in place, uh, the idea is that you could have a crowded, confusing ballot with you know, less than serious candidates. So this is kind of a hurdle you have to get through, um, but that's the public policy behind it. We talked about the first day to, to uh, circulate petitions. It's spelled out in the election law. It's actually 37 days before the last day to file petitions. Now the good news is, and I could give you the election law sites if you want, but you probably don't need them, but the good news is you don't have to do the math. The, uh, not only does the City Board of Elections post a calendar, but the, uh, the State Board of Elections post a really detailed calendar. Thank you, Commissioner Kellner. Uh, look, I do this for a living, and I look at this all the time. It's got everything on it, you know, from the dates to circulate petitions, to file declinations, to file acceptances. Uh, very handy to have, uh, like I said, on the State Board's website. Extremely, extremely helpful. Um, it, as I said, also lists to fill a vacancy, when you can substitute a candidate, also an OTB, which has nothing to do with horse racing. Um, it's an opportunity to ballot, which basically means if a political party, uh, if there's one candidate for a political primary, um, but others are not satisfied with that one candidate because they would actually um, win by default, so to speak, and just be on the November general election ballot. So if, if individuals say, you know what, I'm happy, not happy with that one choice, they can circulate a petition to get signatures that then creates a primary with the one name on the ballot and then a write-in candidate. And then, although kind of difficult challenge often to, to, to do a write-in campaign, um, it's, ha it's, you know, they've won a couple of times. Usually, in the, again, in the smaller parties, um, Sometimes it's a good idea to, to have a stamp. I don't know if anybody really does that anymore, but if it's a candidate's name is difficult to spell or might be confusing, sometimes people will stand in front of a, 
Pulsite handing out a stamp and they can use that as a the, the write-in. Uh, all right, I went through, we went through the date several times. So right, the first date assigned is the, for the state and local primaries, June 5th. The filing dates, July 9th to July 12th. July 12th, we are open to midnight. The Board of Elections is open to midnight. But I, I can't say enough either, as Ms. Steiner said, please do not wait until the last minute. Um, I wasn't there at the time, it happened before I started, but there was one night where someone apparently you know, got there late and just tried to jam the petition through the glass door and, just, and sh cracked the door. Uh, they still didn't get on the ballot, but I assume they had to pay for the door. Uh, others tried to sneak up, you know, back stairways, fire stairways. You know, once the door is closed, uh, it, 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 yeah, that's it. Um, we do, if there is a line, because sometimes people like to wait to the last minute because they think that this way nobody gets to challenge their petition that day or get a copy or look at it. And I'd rather get it on time uh, without the stress. Um, but if you are in the door, so to speak, uh, and we close the doors, as long as you're inside, even if the timestamp is 12.01 or 12.02, provided you're in there in time, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, so don't start panicking too much, but just get there early. <laughs> um, again, all of these dates are in the, the State Board calendar and, and will be on our website. Uh, independent nominating petitions, the first date assigned is six weeks prior to the last day to file, which is 11 weeks before the general election. Like I said, I, you don't have to do the math, just, just pull up the calendars. Uh, as was discussed, a petition of more than 10 pages or multiple volumes must contain a cover sheet. The cover sheet at the City Board of Elections is filed separately from all the petitions. Uh, fortunately, it is a curable defect, so if you did file it attached, you'll get a notice and you'll have a chance to correct it once, as Ms. Steiner said. Uh, but the city board, it's basically a roadmap of what you're claiming, what, you, what, what, what petitions are supporting your candidacy. And other members of the public can look at that roadmap, that cover sheet, and say, okay, 10 petitions, they only need, I don't know, 500 signatures. Oh, maybe it's not worth a challenge. Or at least they can go downstairs to the sixth floor where all the petitions, the real petitions, are available for review. Um, you will have board employees sitting with you. Um, you can't have a black or blue pen. We, you know, people usually use red pens. Maybe that's the reason behind the, the rule about black and blue ink. I have no idea. But um, so you, you, you can look at the, uh, the petitions um, at the Board of Elections, the actual petitions, and order copies, as Ms. Seiner had said. In any event, so the cover sheet has to have the same information or be, you know, as the petition, the candidate's name, the party. Uh, and there are samples on the board's website and the state board's website. The, the office they're running for, and you gotta have the right address, <laughs> spell the name the right way, uh, and list all those volume numbers. And that is, is a way where some people get um, messed up. You know, you have to list first the number of volumes, and then each volume number. Uh, before I started, apparently you had to list the number of signatures, which... Uh, and number of pages. Oh. In, number of pages in the volume, number of signatures in the volume, number of pages in the total petition, and number of signatures in the total petition. And people were thrown off the ballot for, for when they had 40 volumes and they added them up if they made a, a serious Instead mistake. of 43,217, there were 218, and that was that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's rough. I mean, I see people making uh, honest mistakes, you know, unintentional mistakes, even with the process now, and it's, it's simplified. So uh, you really need an expert back then. Uh, 
In terms of the cover sheet, the reason I said the city board has it separately because uh, the state board, you actually attach the cover sheet, a, a, a copy of the cover sheet to each petition. So it's slightly different at the state board. Um, if the, if the, the office is completely within the city of New York, the paperwork gets filed, the petitions get filed at 32 Broadway. If it's a crossover district, so part of New York City, part somewhere else, up to the state board you go. So have a nice trip to Albany. Um, uh, it, you do have to have the ID numbers, as we said. You know, they go on a petition. If you do come in and you don't have any, they'll just stick them on there. But it is good if you get them in advance and you know what your ID numbers are. You can even make a copy, and then when you're doing your cover sheet, you know exactly what numbers you used. You don't want to mess that up. Do you want to save questions for the end? Or okay, we'll probably. Okay, go ahead. The CRU, the same place. Come, it's free. Yeah, come to 32 Broadway and ask to go to CRU, the Candidate Records Unit. Uh, it's so I can go now, even if petition season. Oh, yeah. Yes. You fill out. They'll give you a form to fill out. You say what elections are for. And are other people able to see that you requested the bottom number? Yes. Yeah, public record. It's yeah, pretty much everything the board is public record, okay. uh, except por por portions of voter registration records are, are confidential. Uh, the ID numbers. Securely bound, um, you know, you don't want pages falling out. It'll, it'll obviously make the numbering of the pages incorrect. Uh, it'll, you'll lose signatures that way, and you'll be told to correct it. You know, it, it, is, it, it is defective, it's not secure. Uh, and, and there's good reasons behind that, kind of along the lines of what I just said. I have seen, uh, I haven't seen the nail in the board, although I heard about it. It that was impressive. It was impressive. It, I, I, the poor guys I, I heard trying to make copies had a rough time because, you know, trying to get it apart without tearing anything. Uh, I've also seen the exact opposite. Uh, it's 11.45. It was a small party petition, just a few pages. Um, and then to bind it, they used um, earphones from an iPad. Uh, <laughs> Apple earphones. That's all I had. That's, that's, all, that's had, all I had, and it worked. Well, it worked in that it wasn't securely bound, but it was filed timely. And then they got a defect notice, which I was about to get into, and then they, uh, they have a chance to correct it, three days to correct it. Um, he was actually here last year at the lecture, the person that did that. And he kind of waved when I mentioned it. <laughs> The election law, minimum number of signatures. I'm not going to bore you with too much of the details, but again, 5% of the enrolled members of that political party within the specific political subdivision. Um, there's also a statutory minimum set forth in the election law, and uh, for municipal elections, it's a little bit smaller. It's actually about half, I think it is exactly half, uh, in the city charter. So for municipal elections, the city charter makes uh, the city requirement less than what's in the election law for state um, Stuff. Independent nominating petitions, again, 5% of the, well, not again, but 5% of the total votes cast for governor in the political sub uh, subdivision or the statutory minimum, again, set forth in the election law. Uh, the, for smaller parties, uh, the 5% would probably apply. It's going to give you a smaller amount, easier to, to collect. Uh, the larger parties usually fall within the statutory minimum. Okay. Uh, unless there's an objection, petitions are generally presumed to be valid. Staff at the Board of Elections will only perform what they call a weight test um, when the, the petition clearly doesn't have enough signatures. So what they'll do is, uh, if, for example, for Congress, if you need 1,250 signatures for Congress, but you only have one page with 15 signatures on it, clearly staff is going to catch it and say, oh, sorry, not good enough. Uh, and you'll be put on the prima facie calendar and have the chance to come in at a hearing. Um, all right, I'll skip subscribing witnesses. You don't need that. All right, I told you about the, uh, the book. I can't stress enough. Get a copy of this. Definitely get plenty of these <laughs> from the State Board. Uh, 
you have to comply with with you know all the board rules and all the deadlines. The very very strict time frame, because you know members of the public need to have an opportunity to review the petitions, potential challenges, and the board has to figure out who's going to be on the ballot and get ready for the election. As I said, the board rules are on the website, so are sample forms. The other thing that'll happen when you file your petitions, you'll come to 32 Broadway, the the front counter. You'll, you'll hand them over. Uh, they'll be time stamped on the front, the back, and brought over to CRU. Um, the other thing, when you hand in that cover sheet, again, separately, the board will review the cover sheet and compare it to the first page of the petition to make sure the information matches and, and is clear. And again, it's important that the cover sheet be accurate because it's such an expedited time frame in which people have to challenge these things. I mean, you can end up in uh, the administrative hearing, Supreme Court, Appellate Division, and Court of Appeals within three weeks, four weeks tops. You know, So it's quite very expedited. Um, If there's a problem or if there's a defect with the cover sheet, you know, that's reported to the commissioners who then determine, uh, um, you know, if it's curable or not or, 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 or if they agree with the, the findings from staff. If they could determine that it fails to meet the statutory requirements, uh, it's ruled invalid at that time. However, if the defect is curable, the board will send candidates um, or their designated contact person a notice of noncompliance, also called an NCN. Uh, once you get that, uh, well, not once you get it, but from the date that's sent, you will have three days, three business days, to attempt to cure the defect. Curable defects, some of them we talked about. Uh, page numbers are wrong, uh, out of order. Um, the cover sheet wasn't separate from the petition. Uh, you know, the address on the cover sheet didn't match the accurate address on the petition. If you got the wrong address on the petition, you, you may have other, other issues. That would be something that may not, may not be curable. Um, Curable, again, not securely fastened. Just to follow up on one other thing about one huge petition or several ones, I've seen a couple times where candidates will do just one massive petition, and if there's a problem with that one petition, and for some reason that one petition gets thrown out, that, that's it, game over. Whereas if you did have multiple petitions, and maybe if that you lose that one petition for some strange reason, um, but you still volume, have the others. Volumes. Volume. Yeah, yeah, volume. I'm sorry, volume. volume, I apologize, that volume. Um, you may still have enough signatures in the other volumes. Yeah. You know, some of, the, some of the documents, as I said, are defective on their face, not curable uh, through the board's administrative process. In the event that the board finds some sort of what's called a prima facie defect, uh, you'll be sent a notice. And you do have a right to come to the board's hearings. Uh, they're also videoed uh, and, and post live on the uh, internet, uh, but you can come and be heard by the commissioners. Again, examples of defects that are not curable. Uh, if you don't put the office you're running for. Uh, you know, the voters really didn't know what they were signing or what they were supporting you for. So you can't fix that after the voters have already signed it. If you put 20 assembly district, but not member of assembly, it's no good. You put 30 senate district, but you don't say state senator, it's no good. And the thing that Ms. Steiner was referring to before, if you, if for an independent body, for example, if you use you know, governmental entity or something that's confused with the governmental entity or one of the existing parties. Families first. Although, no good. you know, the case laws and some of the decisions have, you know, been here and there, but technically no good. You're, you're going to, and that you can't fix because, you know, the idea is you, the voter was thinking they're signing a petition for the Democratic People's Republic of New York. They see Democrat and they say, oh yeah, that's, you know, you, you can't undo that later on. You, you may have misled the voter to sign it thinking they were supporting a, a candidate for that political party. General and specific objections. A general objection um, is basically 
just saying, I, I, you know, it has to be filed within three days of the petitions, and you're saying, I believe there's not enough signatures. Uh, you then have six days to file a specific objection, which basically means now you're going to go through the petition line by line and trying to, okay, is this person out of district? Are they registered? Which also explains why you have to have the page numbers. The people examining the petitions, the public, they need to be able to say page three, line seven, out of district. Page 17, you know, line two, not registered. Um, those specific objections, if, if properly filed, and, and, and one of the other things that messes people up a lot is uh, service. You know, you gotta make sure you serve it properly on the, on the other side so they can have be heard at the hearing as well. But in any event, those will be reviewed by board staff and they'll make preliminary determinations on each objection. Uh, they will then issue a clerk's report, which we mentioned before. Uh, as recently as last year, it would get faxed to you if you had a fax machine. I don't know who still has a fax machine in their house, but um, uh, maybe it's part of your, your printer, like the three-in-one. But in any event, uh, now you can get them sent to you by email. If, if neither of those options work for you, you can come to the front counter and pick them up. They must be available 24 hours in advance of the hearing. If not, uh, you could you know, potentially ask for a postponement, although a lot of times people will just move forward with the hearing if, if they don't need the extra time. Uh, as I said, the board makes preliminary rulings. Uh, it's, it, they, they issue the clerk's report, which will set forth the number of signatures submitted, the number found by the staff to be valid, uh, as, as well as the number of those to be found invalid, and the number required to qualify for the ballot. If there's legal challenges that aren't really like a line by line about the validity of each signature, then a council's report will be issued and signed by that gentleman over there. <laughs> Uh, they, as I said, there are public uh, hearings on the petition challenges. Uh, candidates have the right to appear, to be heard, and offer evidence or other information. Another thing that you must do, though, when you come to these hearings is you can't just come and say, I disagree with everything. Let's look at the whole petition again. You have to have like what's called a bill of particulars, basically, or a list of objections. You can't just say, I disagree with every ruling, do them all over again. You have to say, I think the board might have made a mistake on this one. Or, or they, this one should have been valid, or if you're the other side, you might say, oh, this signature should have been invalidated, the board found it valid, I disagree. And if you have that list of objections, again, line by line and page, page number and line um, in a coherent fashion, the commissioners will send staff to a room just off to the side uh, where there's computer terminals to look up voter registration records and other materials, and they'll rework those specific objections. After the staff comes out, they'll present their updated report to the commissioners, and yes, it does change sometimes. Uh, um, and the commissioners will at that point either say, yes, you're on the ballot or off the ballot. Uh, if they say you're on the ballot, just when you think it's safe to go campaigning, you get hit with an order to show cause, and then you end up in court and you see one of these guys. So uh, I guess I'll, uh, on that note, pass over to Senator Collins. Question before you. Um, you, you both, both of you have mentioned the importance of, of getting there. You have four days, remember. You know, it starts on Monday. You can file Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Well, I guess my question is, is do you have to worry about being in, like, the Disney World line? Like, it, can there be a line that takes hours to mm, I've never Disney seen Disney? that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I mean... I mean, everybody, you know, gets off usually at the elevator, and there's, there was kind of a lobby there. It's not huge, and we do kind of snake it around a little bit. But okay. we can see... There's glass windows, and, the, and then there's a the front counter. And there's a door in front of the glass that closes, but they can see everybody out in the hallway. And the door is open, and there's a line that does form. And anybody in that area, you know, before midnight, we're going to get them inside. He, I'm there. Steve Richmond is there, general counsel. Anybody in that lobby is going to be brought in. Or, or like you could do like we do at a poll site. You know, on the clock, 
Uh, if there's a line out the door, you know, you put a cop on the end of the line, and, and then who's ever in front of the cop gets to vote, and whoever doesn't, doesn't. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, but if, if you get there at 6 o'clock at night the last night, there's no way you're, you're, you're petitioning. You're probably have filed by 610. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we don't start reviewing it right there in front of you. It just basically gets stamped and brought to CRU and then logged in and all that sort of thing that, you know. chose to not provide that information and once arrived uh, the only reason I was able to get in is because like the air conditioner had been shut off and somebody called and was like hey it's air conditioner I was like, and so they called security and I was like hey I'm waiting because they had no idea at the lobby that the BOE was open on a Friday evening for uh, the public so yeah, they, it, it, it's usually on the website, I believe, if they post the hours. No, but you're saying the building right. didn't realize people. Well, no, so. neither the building nor the Queen's, because I, I had come from the Queen's Board of Elections. Just simply put, the main office is 42 Broadway, the building, 42 Broadway, for the public inspection area. Those hours will be posted on the website for the week before filing. The board's borough offices may be, will be open from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, normal business hours for public access. If you as a candidate need to get access to the borough office to use the public terminals, beyond that time, it's your obligation to go into court and get a court order on notice to the sport and the law department, and we'll get an order to agree upon to keep them open at extra overtime hours. The only office that will be open as a matter of course will be the public access terminal in the area where Raphael talked about having the petitions available for public inspection at 42 Broadway. Borough offices are otherwise only open 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Okay, Marty. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, can you put the petition back, back up on? You know, it's going to take me a minute. You need an extension for the term paper. Sometimes you'll get it, right? You can ask for it. Taxes, you file for an extension on your taxes. If you think about it, there's, you know, anything that's due almost anywhere, you can get an extension. Except, <laughs> okay, because I have clients say, oh, uh, can I get an extension? To, you know, it, it, it rained for a week. Can, can I get a three day extension on petitioning? No. In any aspect, whether it's the deadlines for court cases, for filing things with the board, for answering notices from the board, anything having to do with election law, the deadline is absolute and cannot be extended. Okay, so I remember one year, many years ago, there was a blackout. There was a blackout. The last day to file, there's a blackout. No electricity. Elevators wouldn't work to go to the Board of Elections Hall. The Board of Elections set up out on the sidewalk to receive petitions uh, that people were bringing down there until midnight, and they were hand stamping them um, as received because, you know, the, the machines, they were upstairs, but they wouldn't work anyway. There was no electricity. It was during a blackout, citywide blackout. So 
Don't ask if you can get an extension. No story's ever been good enough to get an extension. And there's nobody to get it from. And the court will not give you an extension. So deadlines matter. You've got your petition up there. Pardon? I'll Petitions take up there. So now it's challenges, okay? You, you have Raphael. You file you, another good reason to file, if you can, on the first day, Monday, is if your potential opponents, challengers, have three days to file general objections. That means they have till Thursday to file that. And sometimes your opponents will be, if, they, if they're late and hustling around the last day mm -hmm. and coming in at 11 o'clock at night and filing their petition, and they wake up on Friday and say, oh, let's, let's challenge. Too late. Okay? Also, the amount of time specifications are due against your petition if somebody files the general objection. They're due six days after the general objections are filed. So if you file on the first day, they only have until that Wednesday to file their serve and file their specifications. If you file on the last day, now do the math. They have three days, oh, that's Sunday. Guess what, they get till Monday. Now, count six days, oh, it's Saturday. Oh, they get till the next Monday. They get a lot of extra days to work on challenging your petition. Okay, that's if you're defending. If you're challenging, I'm gonna tell you whether you're defending or challenging, why a challenge may be upheld by the Board of Elections and the courts, if you go to court. See so the dates. Oh, uh, there's signatures on the whole page, but there's two lines, and this happens, they have no date. Those two signatures are no good. It could be registered in your party and everything else, they're no good. And I'm going to go through like what I would call technical defects to throw out signatures. Then I'll talk about substantive defects. Everything's fine on the petition. Everything's filled out in the witness statements. Subscribing witness signs it. Forgot to put the date in the bottom. They forgot to put the date in the bottom. Okay? It's got 20 otherwise valid signatures. The whole sheet's no good. Whole sheet's thrown out. Um, all those good signatures are no longer good. When I say good signatures, gee, they're registered, they're enrolled in the party. Um, all the dates are filled in. But the date in the witness statement is one day earlier than the dates, a date, a date, a single date on that. Whole sheet's no good. Whole sheet, all 20 signatures, if you got, they're, they're no good. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? What? If what is one day one of the, One of the signatures right. is, one is dated day one day earlier. Or or no, it was one day later. No. If the, this date in the witness statement right. is a day earlier than any date there, right. it's no good. Because why? The, the witness statement under oath can't be true. You didn't. You didn't See that sign on that day? That dates later. 
any date, there are dates there where people put down the wrong date by mistake and it's crossed out and the correct date is put in. But it's not initialed. Not initialed by the subscribing witness. Those signatures are no good. The witness fills in everything and the date and then, oh, geez, it's the wrong date. They, somebody changes it and puts another, the correct date. But the subscribing witness doesn't initial it. The whole sheet's no good. Okay, whole sheet's no good. Over here in New York City, it says county. You will usually, if you're running for the assembly, or the state senate, unless you're in one of those that cross borough lines, one of those districts, you'll have the printer preprint Kings, Richmond, New York, preprint the county, okay? Now, if you're running in one of those districts that has partly in Manhattan and partly in Brooklyn or Bronx and Manhattan, okay, you will have to make sure that you have the correct county for the signatory, right? The person who signs. Now suppose it's pre-printed for Bronx, but the district is Bronx, Manhattan, and you've got a signature from Manhattan, it's in the district. What do you do? Simple, cross out the Bronx to pre-print it, and you write in New York. Do you have to initial it? No, nope. you don't have to initial it. What? Yeah, it's okay to okay, initial. initial, but you don't have to. Yeah. Anybody, what I'm saying is anybody, it doesn't have to be the subscribing witness. Anybody at headquarters can check that and put the correct information. The same with the addresses. Anybody can check the addresses, and if it's wrong, correct it. doesn't have to be initialed. It's okay if it's initialed, doesn't. But change the date, must be initialed. Change anything in here in the witness statement has to be initialed by the subscribing witness or the whole sheet will be thrown out. Now what I, what I see a lot, and I don't know how this got around, I see it all the time. It goes back, I could tell you a story 25 years ago to somebody who thought, oh, we're gonna prevent it. Used to be, if you had the wrong number of signatures here, the whole sheet was no good. That's not true anymore. But what I see is people come in with petitions and they say, and I look at them, they look fine, except they say, we don't have any number of signatures in the witness statements. And they'll say, don't you do that? Mm -hmm. I say, no, I have a law license. I like not going to jail. I like to <laughs> the, lawyer. the lawyer doesn't fill that in. Headquarters doesn't fill that in. If, you, if it's proven that somebody other than the subscribing witness has been filling that in, They'll throw out the sheets. It's technically a crime. I mean, technically, if somebody wants to prosecute, it's a crime. Okay? But I see that all the time. And I've had consultants who are in the business of getting signature people and all say, no, you want us to leave a number of signatures blank? And I think, well, who's going to fill them in? And what I have to do is send these clients back and say, you have to get each subscribing witness to come back and fill in that number. And if that number's changed, has to be initialed by the subscribing witness, right? Well, the, 
the sheets know if it's left blank. And now, if anything's left blank, no address here in the witness statement, whole sheet's no good. No number of signatures, left blank, sheet's no good. Of course, if it's not something, hey, you laugh. I, I've seen everything's fine, and you got a sheet there when you're binding, and like, the subscribing witness forgot to sign it. Sheet's no good. It's no good. Unless you can get the subscribing witness in there, if you're binding it to sign it, it's no good. Now, you will find challenges that will be based on all those technical things. Now, what are the substantive challenges? You go through, signer is not registered. The signer is not registered. Signature is no good. Signer is not registered in the political party that you're particular. No good. The signer doesn't live in the district. The signer's ready. Okay, I'm doing it every day. Registered Democrat outside the district. Signature's no good. The signer. The signer. Now, the subscribing witness. You look it up. Not registered. Sheet's no good. You look it up. They're not a member of the political party, and it's a political party petition, Republican or Democrat or whatever. She's no good. Now, what you ought to do, if, when people say they want to help you petition, is get their birth date. You probably know their name. Get their name and address and birth date. Why? You can go on the State Board of Elections website, and if you know the name, Actually, I think you just need the zip code. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the birthday, it'll pop up, and you'll see if they're registered. It'll pop, and they'll have the party. If it says blank, well, then you, they can't carry Republican petitions or Democratic petitions or any party petitions, right? If it's not on there, they're probably not registered. Okay? You can further check then if you make a list and go to the city board, because sometimes there's a little lag difference between the statewide thing and city board, maybe the person you know registered three weeks ago and it still hasn't gotten through that website from the state, but um, you can check it that way. Now, somebody comes in, they're not registered to vote, they want to help you, they live in the district, they're not registered. No, but can you register them? Yeah. So you have them fill out a registration form and they date it. Can they go out and petition that night? No. First, it has to be clocked in at the Board of Elections, and then they can carry petitions. And they can join the party then if they're not registered. Or if they moved from Nassau County or Westchester, they can re-register in the city, join whatever political party they want, no matter what party they were in outside New York City. Okay, and then they can witness after it's clocked in. So you know what, when you do that, don't mail it in. Go to your borough office or down to the main office. You can go to any one of the Board of Elections offices and hand it in and get it clocked in. And you know what? If you're doing that, make a note of when you clocked it in. So in case you're challenged, you could, because that may not get through the system. You know, if this person has a week left to go in petitioning, they want to help you out. That may not be in the system when the challengers look it up, because it does take a few days to process and get in the computer and everything else. But if you could say, oh, that was clocked in at such and such a time on whatever day, then, then the board will find it. They'll find it.
Believe me, they'll find it, even if it's not processed. So they can register, let's say they register now, they can sign your petition in June. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they can win if they're in the political party. Yeah. But they could do it the day after it's clocked in. Yeah. I mean, you know, it has yeah. to be clocked in. I just thought there was like a time, like, you want, you want to change parties, it takes a year. Well, that's different. Okay. Changing parties is different. If they're registered in another party in the city of New York, if they're registered in Westchester or Nassau County or upstate somewhere, they can change they, and then they they move, they really live in New York City, they can register in New York City and they can immediately join a new political party. So you're saying that um, if it's a change of address, they can change their party and there's no waiting period? Only if it's a change from outside the city of New York. Into the city. If it's within the city of New York, they can change their address, but their party still stays the same as if you're down in Manhattan and you were a Republican in Queens and you register in Manhattan or you change your address, you don't even have, it's not registering, it's really a change of address. You do a change of address from Queens to Manhattan, you're still a Republican in Manhattan. So even if I do the change of address and a change of party on the same form, the waiting period still Then you can't, you can't petition this year. You gotta, you're, 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 you're not a Democrat or whatever you're changing to until. After the general election, it'll indicate future Republican. It'll, future it'll, it'll go into the system, but yeah. it'll be tagged so that you can't vote in the new party's primary this year, and it'll automatically make you member of that party after the November general election. Does that include someone who is not affiliated with the party? And then they yes, blank can't join a party either, unless they're from outside the city okay. moving in or have never registered. Um, so. Other substantive things. Now, here's another reason that you need to get more than the minimum number of signatures. Because there's one thing you can try and guard against, but you can't guarantee. You're being challenged. Well, you're challenging. You got the signature on the same day as one of your one of your opponents. Not even necessarily the one that's challenging you. You got three or four opponents. You got the signature, and they got the same signature on the same date. Your signature is no good. They got this. One of your opponents got the same signature on an earlier date than your signature is dated. Your signature is no good. And why I say you can't guard against that, because you know, unless your people are being really dumb and knocking on the door and saying, have you signed a petition yet for an assembly? <laughs> yeah, we'll sign mine too, uh, okay? Unless they're doing that, there's no way you know because a lot of people say, no, I don't think I signed for that and they'll sign yours and they did sign two weeks ago for somebody else and your signature's no good, but you don't know that until you're challenged. So you need, you, you always need even if you look yours up, if you look them up and say, I've got 550 registered Democrats, we went door to door, I'm safe. You're not safe if you've got opponents who together have 51 of those signatures on the same day or earlier day as you, you're off the ballot. So you, you do need that extra, and that's a substantive reason to throw it out. And. Uh, <coughs> Basically, there's, 
there's really no excuse for your subscribing witnesses not not being registered and enrolled in the party. You got to check that ahead of time. You know, and and people get in trouble because they find that out and then they do what they really should never do. They get somebody else to witness it. That's fraud. It's a crime. You'll be thrown off the ballot for that. If there's enough of that, certainly those signatures will be thrown out and the people who did it could be in a lot of trouble. Okay, so now what else is the problem? Okay, so you, you've heard from Raphael. You did this, the specifications get filed and you gotta read those rules because it's gotta be, that rule says the specific, and by the way, when, when you're being challenged and you get things in the mail, save envelopes. I don't know how many clients come and say, I got this, I got this, and it seems a little late. Did you save the envelope? No, I threw it out. That postmark counts. That could save you. Maybe they mailed it a day late, but you know, I got to prove that it was mailed a day late. So. Just save envelopes. And if you have a lawyer, and it's wise for you to have a, a lawyer, when you get notices from the Board of Elections, give them to your lawyer. <laughs> I, I don't know how many times clients say, did you get a notice? Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know, I, do, I don't know, I don't know where it is. I'm busy campaigning, I don't pay attention to my mail. It's like, hey, you know, call somebody knowledgeable, your lawyer or somebody knows what they're doing, if you get something from the Board of Elections, you know. Um, do you need an acceptance for your party petition? Not if you're a member of the party. And that notice, I know the statute mandates it goes out. Oh, do I, how many clients, oh, I need an acceptance. And obviously you better be a Democrat because you're not know, Wilson cool or, oh yeah I am, then you don't have to do anything. Well it says acceptance, I said well if you read it carefully, it, it's a big long section of the law, if you read it carefully, what it says is you, you must file an acceptance unless you're a registered member of the party. But it doesn't say it quite that succinctly. Um, so it can be confusing. Now, court cases. What's the deal with court cases? Okay. You're being challenged. You should redraft that letter. <laughs> you're Maybe not you so sure the Board of Elections will do a good if enough job. They make mistakes, particularly if you've got a big petition. I found the mistakes, though, go both ways. Yeah, a couple of percent where they say signature's good and actually it's not, and a couple of percent where they say it's not, and you find it somewhere. So how do you appeal from that? Well, you do, it's, it's a proceeding in Supreme Court called a validating proceeding. But there's a very strict, very strict, <coughs> No extensions, statute of limitations that ends 14 days after the last day to file petitions in the case of a party primary. Special, if you're in a special election, it's seven days. Okay? Now, what's that mean? And I don't know, for, for lawyers here, you know how all oh, you commence now by filing with the county clerk? In election law, you file with the county clerk and you serve the Board of Elections, and the people you're challenging. In this case, if you're being challenged, the people who challenge you, and it may be three or four people who filed objections, maybe more than not just one person. You gotta get them all. You miss one of them, and they file specifications, you'll be thrown out of court, okay? 
The same if you're challenging somebody, you have to bring the court case within that same time period. There's one little exception. If the Board of Elections throws you off the ballot, the statute of limitations reopens only for the candidate, not for the challenger, and you have three business days to commence that lawsuit. But think about it. That means you've got to get the papers together. You have to review what the board did, I'll tell you this, particularly if you're in the second department, and present with your petition a list of the things you say, the mistakes the board made. You have to file that and get service. And if you wait in any of these things, court cases, if you wait till the last day, the judge is going to say, serve them in person. Find them and serve them. And if you're doing that with a validate and you've got five objectors, you've got to track them all down by midnight that day, and, and you can't do it if you're the candidate, by the way. It has to be somebody else, a process server or a friend or whatever, and serve them personally. And you know what? If one of them is just out partying until 3 in the morning and doesn't come home, too bad. You didn't get them. If you didn't get one of them, you got nothing. You're off the ballot, okay? But there's another reason why I don't like people to rely on that. If the Board of Elections leaves you on the ballot, you don't have a right to bring this proceeding. Now watch what happens. The person challenged you bought a court case within that 14 days and they served you, all right? You don't bring a court case. You think you got enough signatures or whatever, no, I'm not worried about it. Now you get in front of the Board of Elections and the clerk's report, and they adopt the clerk's report. Good news, you're on the ballot by three signatures. You have no right to go to court, you didn't get thrown off the ballot. Your opponent, who's challenging you, has a proceeding in court. When they go to court, they're entitled to prove in court additional signatures on your petition that are invalid. In that case, they come in with a list of six signatures that they say are no good. And the court reviews them and says, well, yeah, we agree, four of them are no good. You're now short one signature. You have no right to come back and say, wait a minute, the board made these 10 mistakes and found invalid signatures. You don't even have a right to come back and say the board miscounted. And I really have more signatures. You're out, you're finished. So it's very foolish to rely on that three-day reopener, okay, because there's a trick built in there, okay? That said, when you get into this court stuff, if you don't have a lawyer, it's virtually impossible to navigate it. It, it just is. And, and, you know, this sounds self-interested, but there are other lawyers besides Sarah and I, a couple others, um, now, there aren't, there aren't a lot of election lawyers, there really aren't, who, who don't like work for the Board of Elections and can't do it, practice. Um, and a lot of them became judges over the years and whatever. And, uh, so uh, it, it's just a lot cheaper, a whole lot cheaper to, to retain an attorney when you, before you start petitioning to start with reviewing your petition to make sure all the form's correct. Because you know what? And, and there, there are printers who print petitions, and I recommend you use them because they know enough to punch the holes, for starters. But they know the form and whatever. 
But if you have a lawyer, they'll, they'll review the proof before it's printed. I mean, I've seen people go out, oh, I, I can get this done cheaper. You know, I, I can get it done for 40 bucks at my local offset thing, and I'll take the form off the uh, website, and, and, and you know, and oh, it's got the wrong election date on it. Now you go out and you get a gazillion signatures, and they're all valid and everything else, and you file the petition. No good. No good. Or when I said before, I've seen this, somebody said, everything's right, but they put down where office, 30th Assembly District, off the ballot. It doesn't say member of assembly. Why? Because there are other offices, party positions, you know, district leaders, state committee, um, who run in the 30th Assembly District. And you didn't say which one you are. Or you say 10th State, state Senate District, well, Guess what? State uh, delegates to the state constitutional convention are elected from a Senate district. So there are other offices. Or you put third congressional district. Well, you know what? National convention delegates are elected from congressional. In some parties, the state committee is elected from the. You have to say exactly what that office is. Representative in Congress. You know, 30th congre third congressional district. So you want to make sure you get it right from the beginning before all your efforts are wasted. And then a lawyer will answer your questions as it goes along. Most lawyers will, will come and talk to your volunteers and give them a little instruction. will will ins give instructions to whoever's running it for you, whoever's in charge of your petitioning. And um, we'll go right through the binding of it and we'll come and review your completed sheets during the process and put little stickies on it and say, you gotta put dates, you know, you're missing dates on this sheet. Get the subscribing witness to do it. You know, so that when you get to the end, you know, you're in good shape. And the goal is that you have a bulletproof petition. Anybody who challenges you is wasting their time. Believe me, that's a lot cheaper than waiting until, oh, I'm being challenged. I got these specifications. Can you take my case? Because in a busy year, most of us will say, too late, I don't have any time. I got, I got plenty of people signed up. I can't take your case if I know I'm gonna have three other cases. Because uh, when you, the court schedule is such that when, when you bring that case at the 14 days, it'll be returnable in four or five days, and a judge will say, start trying it. Now, if you got three or four cases and you're, Usually the judges know if you're an experienced election lawyer, you can usually say, well, look, I'll start this one today and on Thursday I'll do the other one. And they know you're going to get it done. Um, but you, you can't get an extension and such. You, you better be busy that whole. And you have about 10 trial days if you're lucky. If you're lucky to get all these cases done. And when they're done, oh, you can appeal. The appeal's the next week, the appellate division. Oh, the appellate division issues a decision. Oh, the Court of Appeals in Albany's coming back from their summer vacation in August. And you better be there five or six days later, which for the lawyers means oh, you've got to write your brief overnight or, you know, they want your brief two days from now. So um, we get busy. So if, if, if you don't have anybody, you're going to be calling around to a lot, to, to, to a lot of different lawyers trying to see even Forget who wants your case. 
because if it's so screwed up, a lot of people might be like, I don't know, I didn't take your, I'm like, I take your money, you got a loser, you had the wrong election date on it. Um, you can have a conflict? Or, or the wrong year or something, you know? But, or you have a conflict, obviously yeah. you're conflicted. You know, no, I represent your opponent, I can't be your lawyer. <laughs> um, but um, the other thing just got to be, I don't have time, sorry. You know, so, uh, so, and if I have time, going to cost you <laughs> compared to like doing it right doing it right so let's assume everything goes you know fair, fairly well you, you 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 hire a lawyer to look at your petition you submit the petition you have enough signature the lawyer helps you with what he needs to help he or she needs to help you with along the way there's no huge court challenge or anything like that is there a ballpark idea of the cost for, for well, that's up to the individual lawyers. I mean, you know, they're diff You know, I, I can't really tell. Thousands, tens of thousands. No. I, I, I don't think anybody. I mean, uh, thousands. Thousands. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but not tens. Not of tens of thousands. Of thousands. Okay. You wait until you're being sued for fraud and uh, bringing in witnesses. <laughs> then it's tens of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'd like to move on to Doug uh, Kellner now, who's going to talk about the what what kind of compliance is necessary, what you what they want for filings at the board at the board for financial and campaign finance well, filings. For campaign finance. So, so I want to emphasize um, what what uh, the previous speakers have already said is that. I forgot one thing you should all know if you're running, you have to do an ethics filing and do a personal financial disclosure. Just a lot of people miss that. So, so it's very important that you get your petitions right. What Marty said is absolutely the, the case that there are no extensions of the deadlines for filing the petition, so you have to get the dates and uh, small problems can become fatal defects for your petitions. So you really have to focus on the petitions. The opposite is true for what I'm gonna talk about with the campaign finance filings. The law requires uh, disclosure, and if you're running for the assembly, uh, you have to file ethics filings. But uh, the failure to do these things, while technically violations of the law, are not going to get you off the ballot, and they're not going to prevent you from taking office. Um, and one of the most effective changes that could be made to the law is to do what France does. If you have serious filing defects in your campaign finance disclosure filings or in your ethics filings in France, even if you won the election, you're not allowed to take office. And, uh, and, and if you're very, very serious or repeat offenders, you're not allowed to run again in the future. <laughs> All right, but that's not the case in New York. New York is, uh, is pretty um, loose about doing it, but to do it right, makes you look good. And if your opponent does it wrong, 
that's an issue that you can raise uh, uh, in the press and uh, educate the public that your opponent uh, is not uh, working in a transparent way complying with their campaign finance disclosures. So what do you have to do? The law says um, uh, if you are going to spend more than $1,000 on your campaign, then you have to file disclosure reports. For candidates who are spending small amounts of money, stay under the $1,000 limit, then um, all the candidate has to do is file a report with the Board of Elections on the uh, required dates under the schedule to say that I have not spent more than $1,000. And uh, that report is due theoretically, as I say, these due dates are, are in the law. But um, uh, 32 days before the primary, 10 days before the primary, and then 25 days after the election. Oh, Post-primary, 12 days or something, post-pre-general, I mean, the, the dates are all in the... The dates are all, are, are all in the hand. Uh, uh, and if you get the dates wrong, the key is that uh, if you eventually file, um, uh, you can clean up your compliance. As I say, just the opposite of the situation with the conditions. I remember there was a candidate who was arrested for selling issues at the board of elections. What's that about? Do you remember that? Back in a few years ago? Yeah, I do. Willful failure not to, yeah. yeah. False filing. If yeah. you never file and you do all, ignore all the warnings, then uh, eventually they can come after you. I don't know that anybody's been arrested. No, it was sued and fined. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, there was. City campaign finance people have been arrested for. No, 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 no I remember this. It was returnable in Albany. Yeah, it was. I remember it. Yeah. yeah. It was the only one I'm aware of. Like, yeah. Yeah, but she ended up paying a fine. Yeah. yeah, she wound up paying a fine, fine, but it still was a, it, it, they still filed it as a criminal charge. Right. But that was willful failure. That's right. You get lots of warnings. If you ignore the warning, you know, hey, you know, how many warnings do you need? Right. So, so I started out by the small campaign, if you're going to be under $1,000, the only file a statement saying that you're, you've spent less than $1,000. If you're going to go above $1,000, um, then almost everybody um, does it by setting up a campaign committee. You don't have to set up a campaign committee. You can still use your own money, but if you, if you use your own money, you still covered by the filing requirements of making full disclosure. And it's simpler to set up a committee and file a form with the state, well, with the state uh, if you're over $1,000, uh, 
form. There, there are three forms that you file if you're using the committee. You file one form signed by the candidate that says, I'm not spending any money, I'm doing this all through a committee. The committee needs to have a treasurer, and the treasurer needs to file a form saying, I've been designated the treasurer of this committee, and this is my bank account. And uh, the third form is a committee authorization form where the candidate signs the form saying that I've authorized this to be my committee. So those are the three forms that have to be filed. For the treasurer, is it really my bank account or is it the committee bank committee, account? Committee. Committee bank committee bank account. And of course you have to open the committee bank sure. And you need an EIN to do that. What about the CMO for if you are the candidate and you want to file your own and that's financial disclosure? Is that okay? Yes, yeah. it's okay. If you're not going to use the committee, you just do it for yourself. Um, uh, but you still need to have a bank account that's separate from your other uh, bank accounts. That's the, the best way to do it. So Yeah, you have to get that. You, you have to have an EIN, but an EIN takes five minutes to get online from the IRS. Yeah, the, the bank won't open it without an EIN. And, right. Now, uh, the good news is that um, the State Board of Elections uh, campaign finance people uh, are very helpful in trying to So while these procedures may not be a priority the way getting on the ballot is or reading the election is, it's still important to try to comply with them. Um, um, at the city board, you give out the, the state board campaign finance handbooks. There's a link to it on the, on the website and the information for candidates. It's a great, so, very thorough so handbook. either the city board or the state board websites have the link to the handbook which is 130 pages long um, and goes into most of the questions that you would have about the procedures. But you can call the helpline phone number on the State Board of Elections website uh, for campaign finance. And those people will answer your questions and help walk you through the process. The goal is um, unlike in petitions, in petitions it's a gotcha game. Small mistakes can have fatal errors and people are out there to get you. On campaign finance disclosure, it's just the opposite. Nobody's out to get you, they want to help you make the disclosure. On the other hand, you do have to do some basics. So you have to make your expenditures Committee. Put something up on the All expenditures over $50 have to be by check. All contributions, uh, or have I got it backwards? No, $100 for contributions. $99. $99. $99. It's under $100. Under $100. So, so, Pardon? And a 50 for expense. So I do that. All right. So it's 
50 for expenses and $99 for contributions. Have to be by checks and have to be recorded. So you have to you have to keep track of what you're doing. And that's very important because uh, if you don't keep track, you does that include like if you use if you have a debit card and you use a debit card? It's fine as long as you have a record. Okay. It just can't be cash. Right. Okay. Right. But you you have, you know if you spend more than fifty dollars, you have to be able to give the name of the name and address of the vendor. Actually, you're supposed. If you get a $99 contribution in cash, you can take that in cash, and you don't have to report that. But you have to have a record who gave it to you. Right, okay. In case they come around and ask. You just don't have to individually report it. You don't have to list it on the form. You have to, Although, li you you have to list the number. Of, I, I always do. Because you know what? It, otherwise, you end up. It's not going to add up. It's not yeah, gonna you add have up. to reconcile the numbers. Well, so if you have a campaign expenses, that creates a record. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a record. You've that's got a record. That's what I'm saying because he was saying checks. And I said, you have to write checks for everything. Because if you have, a, I mean, now it's electronic. You have a debit card. You have a list yeah, of what you need. Expenses. A record. Okay. That's the key. Is that you have a record. Now, if you're going big time and you go over twenty-five thousand uh, dollars, you have federal requirements as well. So. Once you hit the $25,000 threshold, you have to do filings with the IRS. And Nobody ever does that. Uh, rather than go Nobody through the details that. of that now, just to say that again, the instructions yeah. for that are on the website, and you should look at it. If your campaign committee, if your campaign committee has income, either from interest, and because of that, most savvy campaign treasurers don't put their uh, campaign funds in interest-bearing accounts. But if you have any income, then you do have to file income tax returns address. Um, there's a, a two-page summary of this on the State Board of Elections website of the federal If you're a political club, political clubs that do not spend money in support of an election are not required to file. Um, funds that spent in support of an election include printing petitions or printing literature that supports the election of a candidate. If your club is doing either of those two things, then they are a political committee and they have to file with the State Board of Elections. And if they never do those things, then they are not required to file with the State Board of Elections. Um, so, um, again, what most savvy clubs do is that they have a separate committee that supports the election of their district leaders and local candidates. And they keep their club affairs separate from the campaign committee and never spend club money for 
printing petitions or printing literature for printing campaign literature. And as long as they don't spend club money in support of the election of a candidate, then they don't have to do the paperwork for the filing. So those are the key things I want to emphasize. Go to the websites of either the city board or the state board to look at the handbook and get your money. And um, if you're going to spend more than $1,000, then you should um, uh, probably uh, form a committee. And the treasurer has to file a designation form. You have to file, the candidate files a non-expenditure When you talk about money and spending, does it only apply to actual money? And what I mean by this is, is let's say <coughs> a candidate who's a plumber. Susie's a PR executive. She agrees to do my campaign PR if I fix her bathroom. Does that have to get reported? <coughs> that that would. That would. Those are in kind. So, so in-kind donations. In-kind yeah. contributions. People can volunteer, but professionals yes. who um, generally do it for a living, like a political consultant or election lawyer, yeah. have to be paid fair market value. Sure. And if not, it's an in-kind contribution, and you have to watch the amount of it. Right. Okay. The, the, limit. the value. Is. The value, what the, what the fair market value is of it. Thank you. It's like when you pay off a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> That's fake news. That's fake news. That's fake news. I have a question about committee. If you're running for judge, you have to close it. If you're not running for judicial office, you can keep it going, and you can't close it until it's at zero and doesn't owe any debts and, and has no money left. But then can you use it for a different can, running it for a different campaign cycle or does it need to be closed in order No, you can you can keep it going. But not if you're gonna run for judge. You can't then use that for a judicial close it until you move it, until it has a zero balance. So then what and do you do with that money if you then decide you want to run for office in the city? If you they, 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 okay, they will let you use, under some circumstances, part of that. But remember, the contribution limits, it's complicated. You, you need an accountant to go through it, or maybe they'll help you do it. But uh, you, you might have, uh, for example, uh, corporate or LLC money in a state account. They can contribute to different limits. They can't contribute to a city race. So you can't just take the whole $30,000. You have to go through each thing and see what it is under accounting principles. Like I forget which is which. The, the most recent, last in, first out, LIFO, whatever it is. And, and, and eliminate things that are not allowed or, or are over limit for a city race. 
and they they may let you do that but um, and the same is true for federal right you're going to run for congress there are different rules for uh for congress just one other thing I want to mention, if you guys haven't gotten enough of the exciting developments in campaign finance, mm -hmm. the State Board of Elections is actually coming to the City Board's office at um, 42 Broadway 6th floor, which is actually where you would examine petitions during petition season, and they're doing a seminar on it. It's actually a CLE uh, accredited CPE, Thursday, June 21st, Thank you. 9.30 a.m. Yeah. to 12.30 p.m. That's correct. And you go on their website, you go on the, 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 the left side of the website, you see campaign finance, click that, and then there's a drop down, or in the middle it says seminars. You can click that. They have them in, in different locations, Westchester, Rockland, you know, so if you can't make that one, you want to drive a little bit. That's the only one in New York City, correct. Yes, sixth floor. But go online and register first, um, and then that's where you'll go. The, the address and the other information is on the website, state board website. For addressing hearings at the Board of Elections, um, what, when you're checking information at the Board of Elections, like the, you're making sure that the person is a registered voter, what can you request to print? Like, if you want to present something as evidence, what is the name of the document that you can ask to be printed? A lot of people call it a buff card. But that's really something of the past. That's when it was old a big people book. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just want their registration form, the registration records. Right. And you can go to a public terminal and you wait, can wait, sit wait. there and look it up. But and it can't have the signature, correct? Because there correct. was some confusion right. about whether or not. You don't print it with the signature. Right. It print, doesn't you get don't printed. Print it. No. And but also, again, you get it. You want a copy of the image. You will not get it with the person's last four digits of the social security number, the driver's ID, the non driver's ID. And then, when you're presenting it to the Board of Elections, is it enough to present the list with the registration number? Yes. Yes. Is that enough? Yes. We'll be able to access it with the signature. I have a question for the city. Uh, this is not for now, but can you consider doing one of these seminars in regards to absentee ballots, breaking that down? Uh, because I know that um, I know there's, there was an assembly raising the bond that was one by two ballots <laughs> some time ago. Yeah, that was mine. I lost it by the two votes. Um, that wasn't all absentee. Just consider that, please, because it would be very helpful. And then the second question is, where can I get a list of registered voters in my AP? The Board of Elections? Yeah. Board of Elections. Do I just request it and that's it? Yep. What's the complete email address that order, they can order the computer? You can go to the front counter and order it or do it. Oh yeah, it's possible. Yeah. But the, you only get a phone number if the voter provided it right, on right, the right. Absentee ballot applications, or you can get online from either board of elections. Oh, you can get them online. Yeah, you can the applications you can get online. You can print it out and you send oh, you it in. You can go to the board, and they'll, they'll give you 20, 30 of them, too, to give out. And, yes. Uh, and they're kind of self explanatory. That's the reason you can get it. So uh, it's not really, it's not a legal issue, but a, a smart campaign 
will have them, and when supporters say, oh, I want to vote for you, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be on a cruise, or I'm going to be away, Here's an application. Whatever. Here's an application. Fill it out. And, and How about the voter registration? Yes. The blank forms, yeah. They can print yeah. it out and send it in. Absolutely. But it has to be a real signature. It has to be an original signature. You can't fax it in or anything. Ma'am. Those are people who are not registered in any party. No, they, they don't registered. have to pick a party. They're no, registered. you don't have to they pick a party. They don't want to join a political party. You don't have to join a party. Okay. That's if you don't, you can't vote in the primary for that particular party, but you don't have to. But you can vote in the general. Right. That's correct. That takes you one, well, that's oh, if you want to change your registration. That you takes to do a, it, It's not effective until after the next general election. So if you do it in August, it's effective, effective at the end of November. If you do it in January... It's effective at the end of November. Yes. That's party the party rules. Yeah, but well, they but, have to they have to, they have to live there. I always thought they had to live there by the day their petition was filed. Which yeah, they have they to already have a, live there. They got to have the address and live there before the petition. But they don't have out. to live there a year. Okay. They no just have to. If you're printing the petition with their address in the district on it, they need to live at that address in the district. All right. Anything else? Thank you for coming. Here. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And you know, take one of these two. And I'll, 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 I'll,